Hi everybody and welcome to Flex LNG's fourth quarter and full year 2023 presentation. I'm Øystein Kalleklev, CEO of Flex LNG Management and I will be joined later today by our CFO Knut Råholt who will run you through the numbers as usual. We will uh, conclude with a Q&A session where we have a gift as customary for the best question. Uh, this time we have some nice beanies from Amundsen in, uh, in various colors and you know also a nice neck warmer to uh, fit together with uh, the beanie. Uh, you can ask a question either by using the chat function in the webcast or you can also still send some uh, emails to ir at flexlng.com and we will cover those questions in the end uh, when we're doing the Q&A session. Um, just a reminder before we begin the presentation about our disclaimer. We will provide some forward-looking statements. Uh, there are some non-gap measures uh, and of course there are limited how many details we can cover in the presentation. So let's kick off. Uh, revenues for the day for the quarter came in at 97.2 million. This was in line with the guidance uh, provided in Q4 for Q4 uh, of around 97 to 99 million. Net income and adjusted net income came in at 19.4 million and 37.8 million respectively. Just a reminder, we have a rather big <laughs> portfolio of interest rate derivatives where we've hedged ourselves against the <laughs> higher interest rate we are today experiencing. And in the adjusted numbers, we only include the realized gain and loss on derivatives while we take the change, unrealized change in value or included in the net income numbers. But as, as Knut will tell you shortly, you know, we have made rather big gains on, on derivatives during the last three years to a total of 116 million positive. So this translates into our earnings per share and adjusted earnings per share of 36 cents and 70 cents respectively. As we are now in February and heading out of the uh, you know, peak heating season, uh, not surprisingly, rates are uh, softening uh, following the seasonal pattern where typically they find a, uh, freight rates find a bottom at around March before starting to fire up again for the summer season. Uh, and, and I will cover more of the uh, freight market in detail later in the presentation. As we have recently announced, we have uh, got uh, or received an extension of one of our ships, Flex Resolute. Uh, she has now been on our time charter uh, for about two years. This time charter is for three years, where the charter, a super major, has option to extend by two plus two years. Uh, and they have now declared the first option, taking this vessel firm until at least first quarter of 2027. Then, as we announced on January 8th, uh, we have re-delivery of Flex Constellation either end of Q1 or uh, in Q2. Uh, this ship has been on a three-year time charter with a trading house and we will get her back and we plan to carry out the dry docking of this ship uh, before then market her for yeah, spot, medium-term or longer-term time charters, depending a bit on the market conditions. For uh, next quarter, Q1, which we are already way into, we uh, expect uh, rates to soften a bit depending a bit on where the spot market is uh, trading as we have one ship on a variable uh, time charter Flex Artemis so we expect time charter equivalent earnings of somewhere around 75 to 80 thousand dollars per day. Uh, guiding uh, also in terms of revenues and adjusted EBITDA around 90 million of, uh, of revenues and 70 million of adjusted EBITDA quite similar to the results achieved in Q1 last year. We have uh, two dockings uh, scheduled for this year. Last year, uh, as some of you might recall, we were carrying out dry docking, the first dry docking, five-year special survey of four ships altogether. Uh, this year, we only have two ships. It's the Constellation, which we will dock uh, end of Q1 or Q2, depending when we get her back. And then Courageous is scheduled for dry docking in the second quarter. So uh, with uh, strong results, uh, a very healthy backlog, which I will cover shortly. Uh, we are pleased to once again pay out a dividend of 75 cents per share for the fourth quarter. So this gives in total a dividend for the full year 2023 of $3.12.5 uh, per share. 
and that should give a yield of around 11%. Uh, stock market here in Oslo is uh, to down today. Our stock uh, has recovered a bit, down 5.5%, driven a bit by the sentiment around Equinor's capital markets day, where they cut their dividend, and Equinor is down 5-6% yeah, today and dragging down the energy sector. So hopefully we can uh, provide you some info and give you comfort on the results of, uh, of, of Flex LNG despite the kind of sell-off in the energy market here in Oslo today. So let's review our guidance. So uh, last year we provided a fairly detailed uh, guidance for uh, the full year given the fact we had 100% coverage for the year. So we guided on three key measures. Time charter equivalent, uh, you know, which is the average rate we obtain on our ships. We guided at approximately $80,000 for the full year. Uh, delivered slightly better in, in, in Q4 as that's the, the, the peak, peak season, 81,100. And average for the year, we ended up at 79,500. So very much in line with uh, the guidance provided. Revenues, we guided approximately 370 million, and I'm pleased to say we beat that by 1 million, 371 million dollars. And then we guided the last measure was adjusted EBITDA of 290 to 295 million. We delivered 290, and the reason why we did, didn't meet the midpoint is uh, we had some technical off-fire days uh, last year. Uh, we have had extremely few technical off-fire days uh, during the yeah, more than five years we've been trading these ships, but we had some last year and affected uh, slightly on the adjusted EBITDA. Uh, uh, looking uh, forward to Q1, as I said, it will be more or less uh, similar to the numbers we uh, delivered Q1 uh, last year. Depends a bit on the timing of uh, the Constellation do docking and, and also how the spot market is performing, but revenues of around 90, adjusted EBITDA of around 70, and then a range here on the TC achieved of 75 to 80,000 dollars per day. So, uh, during the last couple of years, you know, we took delivery of the first ship, Flex Endeavor, 9th January 2018, and then the sister ship, 11th January 2018, and then we've been building up the numbers of ships on the water. Last ship we took delivery of was in I believe it was May 30th or May 31st, uh, 2021, the Flex Vigilant. So from uh, Q3 uh, 2021, we had all of fleet on the water generating earnings. And then uh, we started off with most of our ships in the spot market. That really paid off uh, in, in 21 when the market was uh, roaring, a bit more challenging during COVID. And then from 21, 22 onwards, we mostly locked in rather long charters on all of ships and stabilized both the revenues and then the adjusted EBITDA since basically all our costs are fixed. Uh, and as you can see, variability in adjusted EBITDA is very small. Uh, we had a bit of a dip in, in Q2 last year, but that was mainly driven by the fact that we carried out dockings of three ships in Q2 last year. This year, as I mentioned, we only have uh, docking of uh, two ships. Uh, looking at the fleet profile, so this backlog I, I mentioned is backed by high contract coverage. We have very limited open ships near term. This year we are already 94% coverage on contracts. Uh, we have one ship, as I mentioned, the Flex Constellation coming back from our three-year time charter, opening up end of Q1, early Q2, and as I mentioned, we plan to docker. That typically takes uh, around 20 days, and then she will be available uh, at a good period of time, I think, once we are out of the, out of the bottom of the market, typically. So, uh, we also have one ship linked to the spot market by the fact she has a variable time charter. It's the Flex Artemis, which is on a five-year charter, but where the charter has option to extend that uh, contract by a third five years. As mentioned, Flex Resolute recently extended to 2027. Uh, there is a similar option for the sister ship Flex Courageous. So uh, let's see if we also add some more backlog here during the year. And then as you see, we have very limited uh, open availability here near term. We will have a bit softer market uh, in terms of volume hitting the market compared to ships uh, for 24, 25. And then there's a lot of new LNG coming to the market, 26, 27, 28 and onwards. 
uh, and actually that's a period now where contracting of ships are tailing off because of the very high ship prices. So we think we are well positioned, minimum 50 years of charter backlog. We think we will add some more charter backlog this year by uh, a declaration of further options, uh, which could bring the total up to a uh, total of 71 years. Uh, and all these charters are, you know, blue chip counterparties. Uh, looking at dividends, so uh, we have a stable business backed by uh, a lot of uh, first class backlog and uh, we are generating substantial cash flow. Uh, and as I've covered in the past, we are a very shareholder oriented company where we do think that all these earnings belongs to shareholders and we are paying these out regularly on a quarterly basis. This quarter we are paying out 75 cents, slightly higher than the uh, adjusted earnings given the fact that we have a very uh, sound financial position with 411 million of cash, no upcoming maturities, uh, a lot of backlog uh, and very limited capex liabilities since we have no ships under construction and capex liabilities are limited to uh, dry dockings and this year we have the dry docking of two ships which should be in the range of 10 million uh, altogether in, in capex for those two ships. So, so a very sound stable business and uh, last slide here uh, before uh, giving it over to, to Knut is you know with this business we have generated substantial returns. We listed this company almost five years ago now uh, June 2019 in New York at $11. We paid out almost the same amount $9 in dividends. If you reinvested the dividends you would do even better. Uh, and then on top of that, we have had a share price appreciation. Uh, right now, uh, the stock is uh, uh, down today. So it's uh, the 280% is a bit less, but still a very good return. And, uh, you know, for those who are fan of, of Warren Buffett, he knows that uh, the market in the short run, it's a voting machine. In the long run, it's a waiting machine. And, uh, you know, gravity tends to favor the good businesses. And as he says in this book, Snowball, Time is the friend of the wonderful business, the enemy of the mediocre. So we certainly delivered on uh, that philosophy. We are paying out the free cash flow. And in the Russell 2000, consisting of stocks in, in, in New York, we are in the top 2% of companies in terms of dividend payout with 11%. I haven't calculated, but probably 12% today with the stock price. So I think that it's, a, it's a good time to be invested in Flex. And uh, I will come back and give a bit more update on the market. First now we will head over to Knut. I hope you give him a warm welcome. Knut is uh, 46 years today, so it's his birthday. So come, come here Knut and uh, you know, uh, I hope you can get yourself a beanie afterwards as well as a, as a gift. Here in Norway typically if you're single you go with a green beanie. If you're not, you have a red. If you're undecided, you have a white one. So I'm, I'm curious to see which kind of beanie you're going to elect to have. Last year, there was an LNG carrier which was scrapped at the age of 46 years. Your same age, uh, the Gandria. Uh, but Knut, he's still operating in the LNG business. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. Uh, I think we can head over to the summary of the operational figures for the fourth quarter and for the full year. Uh, if you look at operating days, um, in the second quarter we had 77 days of, uh, of fire related to the dry docking. Um, and then we had in the first three quarters 19 days of technical of fire. In the fourth quarter we had 100% technical uptime and that results in a technical uptime and co commercial availability for the year of 99.6%. Uh, um, that's a strong testament to our onshore technical and operations team uh, uh, and also for our crew members on board keeping the propeller running. If we look at the time charter equivalent per day in the fourth quarter we had uh, 81,100 and then for the full year 79,500 uh, which is uh, at par with our guiding. OPEX uh, for the fourth quarter is uh, somewhat higher. Uh, that is, uh, that was guided on the on the Q3 presentation, and that was mainly related to uh, scheduled maintenance of our auxiliary engines. Uh, but however, as we guided uh, on the total OPEX for the year, 
uh, we end up at uh, 14,400 versus the guidance of 14,500. For 2024, uh, we uh, guide an OPEX of uh, 14,900, uh, and that is mainly an increase in uh, crew wages uh, and some technical. That results in uh, revenues of uh, 97 million for the quarter and 371 for the full year, uh, which is also uh, uh, as guided. An EBITDA of 76 million for the quarter and 290 million for the full year. That results in adjusted net income of 38 million uh, for the quarter or 137 million uh, for the year. And in the adjusted numbers, we adjust out um, unrealized uh, gains and losses from our derivative portfolio. And then, as you may recall from uh, closing of our balance sheet optimization program in the first quarter, we also strip out uh, the non-cash uh, write-off of debt issuance cost. So then looking into the more details, and we've been through the, the revenues and the OPEX, um, then the main differences are on the uh, derivative portfolio. The paid interest is on par quarter by quarter, and then the difference is on the this quarter and loss on the derivative portfolio of uh, uh, an unrealized loss of 18.7 million and then a realized uh, gain of 7.1 million, which is offsetting our interest cost. That gives us a net income of 19.4 uh, for the quarter. And if we then adjust out uh, the non-cash items, we have adjusted net income of 37.8 million or adjusted earning per share of 70 cents. The balance sheet uh, remains uh, pretty much uh, the same. We have uh, the schedule uh, depreciation of our vessels and then 411 million dollars of cash on the asset side. So we keep it uh, very simple. And that results in a uh, book equity of 848 million, or book equity ratio of 31%. And then as a reminder, these uh, book values reflect that these vessels were ordered at a low point in the cycle, and therefore does not reflect the market value uh, today. On the funding side, uh, our debt portfolio, uh, we did a complete refinancing of our uh, of, our, uh, of our fleet uh, with the balance sheet optimization program that was concluded in the first quarter this year or last year. And um, <coughs> that gives us a flexible um, blending of both long-term leases uh, up to 12 years for some of them. And then the, uh, the traditional bank portfolio where we have structured $400 million of our debt as a non-amortizing uh, up to six year uh, our revolving credit facility. And when we have uh, 410 million, 411 million of cash available, that gives us a flexible tool uh, to, um, for cash management. So we can repay uh, the RCFs in between quarters. And then uh, we reduce the interest rate cost and we pay 70 basis points in um, commitment fee. Uh, if we look at the debt maturity profile, our first maturity is in 2028, and that's related to our bank financing. Uh, so we, uh, we have uh, a lot of headroom ahead of us, and this is a very supportive uh, financing uh, position to be uh, in the, uh, the support of the, of, the, of, of the business and our business case. We have, over the last three years, been quite active uh, in the interest rate market. We entered into uh, the market in, uh, with a lot of uh, additions uh, with long-term interest rates swap in 2021. Uh, as the interest rates have uh, increased, uh, we have uh, also added more, but also amended the duration profile uh, to uh, uh, make use of the gains and reduce the tail end risk of, of this portfolio. So today we have uh, hedging of our interest to traditional uh, interest rate swaps 
but also off-balance sheet items like fixed-rate leases. Uh, for this year, we have an average net hedging ratio of about uh, 65%, uh, and then it tails off uh, more or less equal at, as you would see in the forward curve of the, of the SOFA rates uh, going forward. We are monitoring uh, the interest rate market pretty closely, and uh, we are looking into when to add more exposure on the tail end uh, uh, to increase our hedge ratio. Uh, from 25 and onwards. And that concludes the financing sector and uh, back to you Eystein. Okay, thank you Knut. <coughs> so, uh, in terms of the, the, the interest rate hedging, you know, where Jay Powell, he was on 60 Minutes uh, on Sunday and talked about the interest rate market and seems like March will be a bit premature for a cut, but May is, seems very likely and it doesn't rule out uh, bigger cuts down the road, so I think we have a profile of the hedging which is very much in line with uh, a pivot from uh, Fed within this year, which we have expected and positioned ourselves uh, for as uh, inflation is starting at least to subdue a bit. In terms of the LNG market, we had another eventful year. Uh, seems to be the case every year. 2022 was all about uh, curtailment of Russian uh, Pipeline gas to, uh, to, to Europe uh, prior to the invasion and uh, uh, subsequent to the invasion when we had the blow up of the, 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 the gas lines. So uh, this year has been uh, a bit uh, more uh, calm, I would say. Uh, we have seen uh, LNG prices migrating down to more uh, normal levels. Uh, we did have a peak in, in, in the spot LNG price uh, last August of uh, August 2022 of $100 per million BTU equating to around $600 per barrel of oil. We are now down to more normal levels, uh, $8-$9 now, uh, which means that the LNG is uh, cheap again. Uh, and when things are cheap, people tend to consume more of it. So we are now at uh, a big discount to oil. Uh, more importantly also, we are at a huge discount to especially diesel. So this means that it's firing up uh, demand in uh, new regions. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, actually in, in, in longer term, it's better to have a, a more uh, <laughs> sound price of the product. Otherwise, we will have demand destruction. In terms of the exporters and importers, we have a, a, a swap of, of the thrones. Uh, we have China coming back being the biggest uh, LNG importer again after uh, you know they, they became the biggest in 21 they implemented the zero covid policies which resulted in China reducing its LNG import in 22 of 20 percent they are bouncing back uh, in in 23 uh, and retaking the throne as the biggest uh, importer for the second time Japan has traditionally been the biggest but Japan uh, is firing up their nukes and also their Power, uh, coal power plants. They built, I believe, 40 of those since uh, Fukushima. So, uh, so we do see that uh, Japan demand has been on the soft side. Uh, but as I will come back to, there are emerging Asian countries which is uh, uh, snapping up these uh, cheaper cargos. Uh, we last year was a, a year with limited new capacity being uh, uh, being installed. Although we did have a volume growth of around three percent, driven by US particularly. Uh, restart of Freeport contributed with a lot of new volumes. This year, also a year with fairly muted uh, export uh, capacity being uh, implemented, uh, and there are some uncertainty about Arctic LNG 2. So, 13 million tons, uh, half of this is about uh, Arctic LNG 2, uh, the first train. This is operational. They are planning to commissioning it during Q1. So, we'll see how. Uh, <laughs> how uh, the Russians are managing to sell these cargos, uh, the experience from uh, the crude market, uh, both oil and, and products, seems to be the Russians are very fine and good at finding loopholes and, and finding customers who are willing to buy these cargos. So this will be one of the key questions for this year, but uh, for certainly if they are moving the cargos, they will be very ton mileage intensive. Uh, fragile mar maritime supply uh, chains has been a big factor. That sounds like something negative, you know, for, for shipping it doesn't, uh, isn't necessarily a negative. Uh, we thrive on inefficiencies. Inefficiencies means 
typically uh, higher tone mileage and, and also maybe higher tone time. So it uh, means you need more ships in order to shift cargo. So we had the drought in Panama. We still have the drought in Panama. The water levels in Gatun Lake, the main freshwater supply for the canal. This is our, our water escalator, which needs to be refilled with water all the time. The water levels are still at low level. There are still restrictions in the number of transits. And, and this will stay in place until at least the summer, when we will see whether there is a, a sufficient uh, rain season in Panama to replenish those uh, water resources. Uh, from end of the year, we had uh, similar issues with the Suez Canal there. It's not about water, it's about war and the Houthi rebels uh, attacking uh, the maritime uh, traffic uh, and today there are no LNG carriers going through the Red Sea to utilize the Suez Canal and of course uh, this has some effect on tone mileage especially for the Qatari volumes going all the way through Cape of Good Hope to enter uh, European customers rather than going the shortcut through Suez. So let's look at uh, a bit on the export and import side. As mentioned, strong growth from US actually grew 27% in Q4 and 13% uh, for the year. Flat uh, for Australia and Qatar, the two other major exporters. Russia is uh, the fourth biggest exporter, fairly flat uh, volume export from Russia. Uh, there's no sanction on LNG, there are some uh, sanctioning by the US and UK, which are not uh, allowing uh, Russian cargoes, but for the remaining countries, they are happy to take this cargo, and especially EU, who have been boosting their imports of Russian LNG. Malaysia, fairly flat. Algeria was one of the outliers last year, uh, growing healthy through uh, 2023. On the import side, as I mentioned, China bouncing back 16%, still uh, a bit below the levels we've seen in uh, in 2021 prior to the COVID restriction and now with the price of, of LNG being competitive we expect China to grow quite healthy also in 2024. Uh, Japan is on a bit of a decline um, <laughs> and South Korea, uh, Taiwan fairly flat. Uh, the big other driver you know if you, you follow macroeconomics India has been uh, enjoying a very long boom now and with prices coming down to these levels we see strong growth in India, if you look at the Q4 uh, growth factor here, 43%, adding 15% uh, for the year. So we expect this to continue. And the rest of the world, you see very strong growth in Q4 driven, as I said, by these low prices. Europe, fairly flat, and I will cover that in more detail shortly. Uh, so uh, just to summarize the big uh, movers and shakers, US growing steady, Algeria, as I mentioned, uh, Qatar flat and Egypt uh, where there has been issues with uh, feed gas from Israel given the conflict in the area uh, they have not been uh, they, we have had shutdowns of feed gas from Israel to Egypt uh, liquefaction plants there's also been domestic demand for this gas so they've been exporting less than in the past um, however this is not that important for the shipping market Egypt is very close to the main uh, import nations in Europe so it's uh, very low ton mileage on these uh, voyages. Uh, yeah, heading back to uh, Europe. In Europe has been the lucky man the last two seasons. Uh, European uh, LNG imports used to be at around 80-85 million tons. Once uh, the Russians started to uh, reduce the flow of cargoes uh, of, of gas to Europe, Europe had to turn around very quickly to get access to these LNG cargoes and this is mostly US where you have flexible LNG cargoes and they've been bidding up the price and as I mentioned they bid the price all the way up to $100 per million BTU uh, making LNG unaffordable for emerging Asia uh, and, and but with two uh, winters in a row with uh, fairly mild weather uh, the, the Europe has been able to fill up its uh, inventories this is also driven by uh, what I will cover on the next slide, uh, demand subversion or demand destruction. These kind of high prices is of course affecting behavior and use of, of LNG. So uh, gas consumption in Europe has fallen off a cliff uh, and is now shortly bouncing back. But as you can see here on the right hand side, inventory levels in Europe are quite healthy. We have some time still to go. Usually the 
kind of the, 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 the season where heating season lasts until 1st of April. So we will be drawing down this inventory and then once we're getting into the spring, Europe will need to fill up it, its uh, inventory levels again in order to be prepared uh, for the next winter. So as I mentioned on, on last slide, Europe had, has a huge demand destruction on, on the gas side driven by these high prices. Demand in 22 was down 12%. It's been weak in, in 2023, but we do see some green shoots here. On the graph on the right-hand side, we have seen uh, European gas demand bouncing back, driven by the residential and commercial sector, uh, also driven by industry. We haven't really seen it on the, on the, on the power side yet. So uh, this is something we will monitor and we do expect low prices will affect uh, consumer behavior. Looking at emerging Asia, as I mentioned, there is some, uh, a region where we see demand really bouncing back. Japan import uh, on the weak side, China is up, but we do see some of these other countries. As mentioned, India, but not only India, Thailand, very strong growth uh, last year, uh, Bangladesh and Pakistan, which has been forced out of the market by these high prices, are now returning and buying up uh, more cargoes. Uh, and then the big uh, item which has been recently, it's the US moratorium on more uh, uh, export licenses. So US has grown to become uh, the biggest LNG exporter in a very short time. And actually while exports now are at around 85 million tons, with the projects in the pipeline in US, uh, US is set to almost double its exports. Uh, from existing projects regardless of this decision. However, it's unfortunate that uh, uh, we have this situation. Europe is still in desperate need of uh, getting access to more uh, LNG to kind of uh, uh, fill the gap from the Russian curtailment. Uh, and of course, the rest of the world is also reliant on LNG in order to force out coal. Uh, the coal consumption is huge. If we are to do something with this, of course, renewable is a solution, but LNG is certainly a solution to uh, reducing the coal consumption. So there are a couple of projects in US which has been more or less ready for FID this year. And we mentioned some of the, the big projects there, Calcius Pass 2, the Sabine Pass expansion, Port Arthur expansion, Lake Charles, who had a license to export, but which were uh, not allowed to renew it or extend it. So they have to apply for a new one, Commonwealth, Delphin, and Freeport Train 4. So all of these projects now are in a bit of limbo. As former US politician said, uh, all politics is local. Uh, this was Tip O'Neill. Uh, so this is driven by, of course, Biden have to uh, reach out to the uh, voters on the green side or the left side of his party in order to secure the election coming up in November. Uh, but for this project, it's unfortunate. We do think that they will come back again, regardless of whether it's Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden who wins the election, because these are huge projects which are very important for their allies. It's very important for the economy, creating jobs, uh, and these projects are ready to go uh, once they get this uh, permit from the Department of Energy to export to, uh, uh, to the countries uh, buying these cargoes. So uh, let's uh, look at uh, the maritime inefficiencies again. So yesterday I found up a new word, canalibalism. So uh, this is uh, related to the fact we have had these issues with uh, first Panama Canal, the Dwart, really driven down uh, the number of transit of LNG ships going via Panama. Rather ships are going for the safe route, Cape of Good Hope, as also the fees in order to skip the queue in Panama have reached new highs. We were up all the way to about $4 million to skip the queue last uh, autumn, or actually more winter than autumn. So, uh, so this has driven uh, ships to, to rather go uh, via uh, Cape of Good Hope, where you also have certainty on your schedule. And then lastly, now uh, the Suez Canal, where all traffic has gone given the uh, unsure security situation there. So this has driven up uh, Cape routing, which of course is good for the uh, ton mileage and, and uh, absorption of shipping capacity. Uh, a bit more details on, on the Suez Canal, of course. Uh, flows in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the LNG market is more or less that 
what is being produced in uh, Asia is being consumed in Asia. So the Australian uh, projects are going typically to uh, Southeast Asia. And so the swing factor tend to be the American volumes, which are flexible in nature. Uh, but there are still the Qatari. Qatari is a big player. Qatari is exporting about 80 million tons. They will grow a lot with the new expansion projects they have. Uh, so they sell quite a few cargoes to Europe. And if you are going via uh, Suez, it's a big shortcut rather than going through Cape of Good Hope, which is the case today. Uh, let's dig into the shipping market. So here we have a graph of, of the headline rates assessment for a modern uh, tonnage two-stroke. And we can see on this line, the gray one being uh, the, the rates achieved last year and the dark blue, the average the last couple of years. And, and then the light blue <laughs> being this year so far. So we have the seasonal softness we have seen all the other years. And then the dotted line being the future freight rates. So we do expect uh, the market to find a bottom and then as usual, you will have a seasonal peak uh, once we are getting into, I would say, August, September typically, then you see a, a ramp up in the rate. So we do think that we are well positioned with Constellation, uh, doing docking in Q2 and being ready in the market once it's ready for takeoff later in the year. And, 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 and we could also have some summer rallies here, depending on the price structure of LNG. If, if there is a contango, which is often the case, we will have more buildup of floating storage and Constellation is a partial relic ship, uh, very well fitted for such a trade. Uh, average distances, I mentioned a lot of the US cargo has been going to Europe, given uh, Europe's desperate need to get access to LNG, which has uh, reduced uh, the, the distance being sailed. But with prices now low and more demand from Asia, uh, also, uh, the inefficiencies in Suez, we could see uh, a better picture on the ton mileage uh, going forward. Um, new building prices has gone up a lot. Uh, as Knut mentioned, we contracted ships when they were cheap. So we have been uh, contracting ships back in 1718, paying about uh, $185 million per ship. Ship price today has uh, fallen a bit from 265 to 262. But you know, if you if you take that number, it's uh, it's a increase in the price of a ship of 80 million dollars. We have 13 ships, so that's a billion dollars in appreciation of the ships since we uh, contracted them. Uh, so uh, you know, we have a book equity of 860 million or so. If you add that appreciation, you are at a value-adjusted equity of 1.65 billion, and our uh, market cap today is around. 1.5 billion. So we do still think we have a very good kind of net asset value protecting our assets and also backed by the, the charter backlog I mentioned. So these kind of high prices on the new building side uh, also means that you need to have a higher rate in order to defend such an investment. Keep in mind interest rates gone from zero to also stabilized now today at around 4% on long-term interest rate, which means that in order to uh, build a new ship, contract a new ship and and give a rate for a long-term charter, we see that uh, rates are at around $100,000 per day, which is you know, substantially higher than the approximate $80,000 we achieved uh, last year. So we do think we will find good opportunities to recontract our tonnage once it comes open <laughs> uh, at better rates. Uh, we have seen softness in the uh, shorter-term rates, and we actually now have a contango structure in the term rates where Longer term charters are more expensive than shorter term, uh, reflecting the fact that we have uh, a lot of ships for delivery this year with a bit muted uh, uh, volume uh, growth on, on the export side, but you know, which should give us a lot of opportunities to, uh, to recontract ships because as I show on this next slide, contracting of ships is of course tailing off the high prices and of course, the rather uh, big uh, order book already means that very few people are uh, contracting on speculation. Out of this order book of around 300 ships, 93% is contracted towards a long-term contract, and we see little of any uh, speculative new building contracting at all. And we do see the number of ships for delivering tailing off, uh, uh, which fits very well with uh, also the 
export story where uh, a lot of volumes are coming to the market from 25, 26, 27 and onwards. And, and once we have this moratorium in US, we have a lot of projects ready to be FID'd, uh, which I think will happen. Uh, where uh, startup of these volumes will come from 27, 28, 29, when we also do have quite a lot of ships open. So uh, another thing I've been talking about now for uh, yeah close more than six years <laughs> is uh, the technology change. So when we contracted ships back in 1718, we contracted the new type of ships. It's a two-stroke engine. It's a super efficient ships. It's about 60% more fuel efficient than the old steam turbine generation of ships. Uh, those ships were contracted typically, you know, in the 1990s into 2000 against a 20-year time charter. 20-year, maybe even 25-year time charter. And these ships are now uh, rolling off those legacy contracts. And, you know, given the inefficiency of these ships, given the poor environmental profile of the ships, we see a few <laughs> charters extending these ships. So we have about 24 steam turbine ships uh, expected to be re-delivered from a long-term contract this year, 25 next year, 12 there. So this replacement of uh, old inefficient ships will result in more opportunities for modern tonnage in terms of fleet renewal by the charters. So as I mentioned, uh, uh, was a 46-year-old ships being scrapped last year, six ships in total. The year before it was one. In 21, when the market was super hot, it was seven ships. We will be coming into our age now where we will have double digit of scrapping of older tonnage because it's overdue. The only reason it hasn't happened is that these ships have been on long-term charters and not being in the spot market. Um, and then uh, let's look at the, the, the export market I mentioned. A bit muted on the growth uh, this year given uh, the uncertainty about Arctic LNG 2 and then from 25, 26, 27 we will have a big growth of this export market. Uh, there are uh, 70 million tons of ready project also for FID. The Northfield Qatar project will of course go uh, ahead regardless of what uh, uh, Biden is doing in the US uh, and I might even add further volumes. Uh, and then we do have this uh, project in US in limbo where we need to have a resolution on uh, this moratorium before this project can be uh, green-lighted and adding further growth to the market. So, before concluding, uh, we uh, will come with our uh, annual ESG report later, probably around April. So we have an annual ESG report with a lot of measures, but uh, we have also uh, been part of the CDP, Carbon Disclosure Project, where we are filing for uh, a lot of data and getting a score. We got our uh, 23 results yesterday, February 6th, uh, and we've been ticked up from B minus to B. So uh, I think that's a pretty good result for us, given the lean organization we have in terms of uh, reporting on all these measures. So before we head for the Q&A session, I'm just going to repeat the main uh, highlights, revenues 97.2 million in line with guidance, we are delivering 37.8 million adjusted uh, net income which is the most uh, applicable number which gives a uh, earnings per share adjusted of 70 cents. We are a bit in a softer market now which is no surprise. We will be ready for the spot market with flex constellation in the second quarter after we have been carried out the dry docking offer. We're happy to have a uh, our two-year extension of Resolute to 27, adding further backlog to our uh, fleet. And then we are guiding similar numbers for Q1 this year as last year. A bit softer because of the, uh, uh, the, the spot market affecting the variable higher time charter. And then we might do some docking in Q1 or, or, uh, or, 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 or most of it we do expect to take place in Q2. So with uh, good numbers, healthy financial position, we are declaring a quarterly dividend 75 cents, bringing it up to 3125 for the year. And uh, that should give a yield of uh, yeah, 11, uh, it's probably 12% now. <laughs> okay, great. So, Knut, uh, let's see if we have some questions.
Yes, thank you for the for the questions that you have sent in, and I think we start off again with Oma uh, Nokta from uh, from oh. Jeffries. Uh, <coughs> and there's a number of questions regarding uh, uh, the, the Red Sea and, and also Panama Canal. Um, so from Omar, um, these restrictions, are they enough to offset the new building deliveries and, and the lead to a tighter market? <laughs> I think for the Red Sea, it's, it mostly affects Qatar. Qatar, they might get a bit short on shipping and need to relet in some ships in order to uh, to, to have sufficient capacity to move the Qatari uh, volumes to Europe. So I think it depends a bit more on the trading pattern. Who is going to be the major puller of cargoes this year? Is Europe going to be desperate to be the buyer of first and last resort? Or are Europe going to stay a bit more back now and, and leave some more room for the Asian countries? That will affect the market more. Panama. It's never been that important for LNG. A lot of the LNG ships, they, they, they route via Cape of Good Hope anyway. So, uh, I, you know, we, we, we've been frank about the fact that this year we, we do see uh, a, a bit more ships than, than molecules. But on the other hand, we also do expect that finally we will have scrapping. You know, usually people don't scrap their ships in a good market. We have had very good uh, markets, 21, 22, 23. It doesn't give a lot of incentives to, uh, to, to scrap a ship, but keep in mind when these ships are getting older uh, and you know they're already a bit outdated on the technology. Are you then willing to commit a lot of money to dry dock those ships and uh, typically you have to replace a lot of these older systems. So, uh, so I think uh, uh, that will be a bit more important. I think also that the, the, the price curve of gas will be important. Uh, because if you have a contango structure in the price curve of, uh, of uh, gas or LNG, you will have floating storage, which typically any year can take out 40, 50 ships off the fleet uh, in, in kind of this contango trade. So that uh, I think is uh, probably a more important driver. Hmm. And following up on the Red Sea, um, the insurance rates have increased uh, if you're trading in that area. Uh, and also the, um, there may be other costs associated with being there. How is that affecting Flex? Yeah, yeah right now it's, it's, it's no, not a single LNG ship in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Red Sea, but you know, before everything blew up, the, the, we ha also had uh, ships going through that area uh, as the situation at that time was uh, considered to be moderate risk uh, for ships without a link to Israel. Uh, so, but that drove up the price of uh, the insurance. So typically you need a war risk insurance in order to go through that area. Uh, the biggest provider of war risk is uh, the Norwegian war risk uh, fund. Uh, and, and the price we saw on the pricing of getting insurance to go through that area went up 10 times. Today it's, uh, it's, it's probably a lot more, but we haven't asked for a quote because we haven't had any instruction to go uh, through that area. However, in our time charter, it's, it's basically, it's, we are a private driver. So we show up with our ship <laughs> and a crew and under a time charter, it's the charter who is responsible for the routing and the instruction to the ships where to trade. That also means that the charter is responsible for taking the cost associated with that trade. So if the charter elects to go through Suez, there will be a Suez tariff to pay, which they will have to pocket. And they will also have to ca cover the war risk associated with that. So that is something they will put into uh, account when instructing the ship. The same goes with Panama. If they go to Panama and they pay $3 million in order to skip the queue, we are not paying that. It's their instruction how to trade the ship. They have to carry all the costs associated with that. And from uh, this year, this also includes the EU ETS. The, so it's the emission trading system of uh, European Union started to be implemented for the maritime sector this year, which means that if we take a ship into Europe, we will need to buy uh, carbon per, uh, quotas for the emission associated with that trade. So typically, if you take a US cargo to Europe, you will pay uh, carbon emission for 50% of the route because it's one ballast leg and one laden leg. Uh, but again, this is a cost of the trade. 
we pass this cost uh, to our charters as they are the one deciding where the ship goes. And of course this has created uh, some, some issues uh, in relation to the Red Sea because a journalist they typically ask you are you sending your ship to the Red Sea. Uh, but you know under a time charter and every single voyage in LNG shipping is a time charter regardless if that's a spot voyage, a short voyage, a term charter, it's a time charter. And under a time charter Charter is the one instructing the ship. We will have to follow them, uh, those instructions. We have a contractual obligation to do so. However, in our standard time charter, there is certain provision in relation to safety. So the master has to assess the situation together with us, whether it's safe to uh, comply with those instructions. If it's not, then of course uh, we can reject, but you know that also opens you up to litigation. What is safe and what is not safe? It's a bit of uh, ambiguity and we rely on advice from uh, uh, outside uh, uh, advisors as well as uh, the people writing the war risk insurance uh, in order to, to make that assessment. And while we are at cost, um, there's a question here on uh, demand for crew with the big new uh, uh, order book and mm. deliveries of, of new building in the coming years. How do you see demand for crew and the situation for flex? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very relevant question because, you know, top of my head, there is about 1.6 million seafarers in the world. Uh, uh, a lot of this used to be Russian crew, which these days uh, uh, there are certainly restrictions on those and a lot of that uh, uh, crew base were LNG officers. So that means it's, uh, you need to replace, uh, uh, you know, in some instances that crew because, you know, you might not be able to pay them. So that has also created some issues. You have Ukrainians, which is also a, a, a maritime nation where uh, a lot of Ukrainians have elected to rather stay at home and, and fight the war rather than than being at sea. Uh, so yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not that easy. However, you know, LNG business is maybe the most technical sophisticated part of the shipping uh, industry, maybe together with container ships. So that means you will typically always be able to attract talent for this business, which means basically you need to poach people, the best people from the tanker space or the LPG space. So basically you're passing on the problems and at the bottom of the <laughs> sector you typically have small dry bulk. So, so they, you're cascading the problem down and yes it's getting harder to get people. LNG will always be able to, to find people but, uh, but you know these are sophisticated ships. You cannot let everybody just run these ships because there's a lot of technology in these ships. So it's getting harder. We are able to do it. We try to retain our crew. We try to be a good employer so that people want to, to sail with uh, Flex LNG. Then we have questions from BTIG and it's related to Flex Constellation huh. and um, the rechartering options and alternatives and what's your preference? This is Greg or? It's Greg, yes. <laughs> good to see you, Greg. Uh, Rechartering opportunities. Let's see. Um, uh, we, we need to get a, a kind of firm uh, redelivery date. And, but our plan is to, once we get her back to Docker and market her, uh, we've we already been around talking to people. We, uh, if we had a contract, we would, of course, announce that. So, so uh, given you know, the nature of this business and the name of the, the company, we are flexible. We are open to do shorter, longer, medium term. We really need to see what is the economics. And then if it makes sense, we are open to fix long. But uh, if we don't get the numbers we want, we are happy to trade a ship back again in the spot market. We've been out of it for some time now. And, and we, I have to say we missed the action. Um, uh, but uh, that uh, the, you know we are super comfortable with that. We're 94% coverage for this year, so we can afford to have our ship in the spot market if we deem that to be more attractive than uh, finding a term deal. Then there's a number of question on uh, EU ETS. <laughs> yeah. uh, how are we prepared? How is that? Uh, is there any cost for us? Yeah, I think I already covered it. It's part of the time charter logic. So uh, the charter instructing the ship. If they're instructing the ship to go into EU, that is associated with cost of trade, which is the EU ETS. So we have amended our time charter uh, to where kind of we will 
typically they either they will uh, buy the carbon uh, quotas and surrender them to us and we will surrender them to EU or we uh, we buy them for the charter and send them a bill for those carbon emissions and then surrender it to EU. For us, it's not a cost. It's a pass on uh, to the charters and of course uh, in the end they need to pass that cost to somebody and uh, that is Mr. Consumer. So there's no tax without any cost. So in the end of the day it's the consumer paying this uh, tax, not us. Then we're segwaying over to business development and capital allocation. Uh, so maybe we will start with uh, with the growth questions. How do you, how do you plan to grow FlexLNG beyond the, the thirteen vessels? Uh, yeah, it's uh, we have had this question now uh, for some time. We, we, you know, we're looking at the market, but you know, we are stewards of the shareholders' capital. You know, if we if we contract a ship today, if we're super lucky, maybe we get a ship in 27, but you know, the, the, the slots availability are now getting into 28. So that means that we are spending, let's say, 262 million today to get a ship in 28. So it's four, we, don't, we are not seeing that money for four years. It's not, the price is not 262 because, you know, we need to have supervision. We might need to, to draw a loan, a building loan with a bank, which needs an interest rate. Interest rate is 4%. They might want a margin 2%, so that's 6%. So once you're taking that into account, you know, the cost of that chip is not 262. It's maybe 285 or so. That means that, hmm, is that a better use of our cash than paying dividends? You know, uh, so far, we haven't been uh, convinced that it's better to, to spend that much money on new ships. So we rather focus on the ships we have. We have uh, one ship now uh, open in Q2. We have Flex Ranger fully open in 27. Uh, we might have some ships open in 28, 29. You know, so why not uh, focus on the ships we have open 27, 28 rather than splashing out all this money on new ships. So we are, we are not there to pursue growth because uh, Knut and I can be, uh, you know, happy with having a bigger fleet. Our number one, number two, and number three focus is return on equity, return of uh, that money to shareholders through dividends, and we're not going to pursue growth just to be big. We rather be big on dividends. And uh, there's a question related to that on uh, paying dividends versus uh, buying back uh, uh, our own share. Yeah. How do you uh, look at uh, share buybacks? Yeah, we've done it in the past, so uh, we did this, uh, ooh, uh, was uh, uh, end of 2020 into 21. Uh, so we bought back about a million shares at that time, we, because we deemed it uh, very attractive. Uh, haven't, uh, well, have to check the, sh the stock price after the webcast and see. So, you know, we're open to do that if we feel uh, the stock is getting uh, too much suffering. Uh, because of sentiment, we might uh, we might elect to buy back some shares uh, for sure. So so we're open to that. Uh, could be could be an alternative. Uh, not ruling it out, but uh, for this quarter we are focusing on on paying a, a dividend. And uh, let's see what happens. It really depends on where we see the best use of the company's uh, cash. And you mentioned growth through new buildings. Uh, Richard Diamond from Castlewood Capital asks, um, is there any room for industry consolidation? And would you consider a NAV-to-NAV -NAV acquisition? Uh, hey, uh, yes, Richard, uh, hi to you. I hope you have a good time in uh, Dallas. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, we have said for many, many years, we are certainly open for consolidation. We think there is uh, a lot of consolidation opportunities because it's quite fragmented on the owner side. A lot of, uh, or actually the vast majority of LNG shipping companies are private, very few in the public domain. So we think it could make sense to have a bigger public vehicle, make it more relevant and interesting for especially bigger institutional shareholders. But you know, we, we, we don't want to go to bed with strangers. We, we want to go to bed with people. We share the same values philosophy, uh, ethics, and also the fleet in terms of having a modern, efficient fleet. We don't see any value in, in merging with somebody who has a lot of steam tonnage. So, so we need to find all those parameters uh, so that we can have a, 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 a marriage rather than a one-night stand. 
And then uh, a question on reinvestment in the existing fleet, um, and then particularly on air lubrication system. Is it technical possible? Is it economically sensible to do that? Uh, air lubrication has been something that has been coming up the last couple of years, so just give you a, a highlight of what that is. It's, it's basically you are putting a compressor on a ship and you're making small holes, uh, holes under the hull. <laughs> Uh, and, and that uh, that uh, compressor is taking air and compressing it, and it's creating bubbles under the hull. So the theory behind this is that these bubbles under the hull is going to reduce the draft when you are going through water. Of course, ships are going through water; it creates a lot of uh, resistance. And if you can reduce that drag, you could uh, potentially then either save fuel or reduce or increase speed. Uh, I think for our ships, they are very modern and efficient. Uh, so we looked at it when we contracted, we weren't totally convinced. And as far as we understand, we did the right choice because the first generation of air lubrication system has not lived up to the promises. Uh, the, the makers of these systems are saying that the second generation is a lot better. Uh, let's see when we get the data. Uh, and you know, a lot of ships today are being built with this system. On our ships, because the efficiency of the engine is like 50-52% thermal efficiency, that means that on a natural boil-off speed, we still have a very high speed of 17.5 to 18 knots. So we don't really need more speed. Uh, if you add this, you might go... And then, but you also need to utilize the natural boil-off speed. So, you know, Putting this on and getting like a turbo from going from 18 to 19 knots doesn't really make a lot of sense. On older ships, it could make sense as part of your strategy to improve your carbon emission indicator. Because my, my, your ship then, if you have a trifuel or so, you, you have a, a speed of 15 knots and you need to force boil off in order to go quicker. If you're adding this, you get higher speed. Uh, so then it makes more sense to put it on an older ship. However, on older ships, you might not want to invest that much money <laughs> because it's less technical efficient. So, but that said, we've seen uh, this happening also on the retrofit side. It's quite easy to retrofit the air lubrication system. We've seen it on our 10-year trifuel uh, recently, where they put this on while she was doing a 10-year special survey. Uh, so it's open, but we are not considering at the moment. But down the road. Uh, if price of carbon is continuing to increase, if the carbon emission system is worldwide where you have to pay for it and you get a more monetary incentive to reduce uh, emissions, then we might consider it. Uh, but certainly not before these ships are doing a 10-year special survey. I think we'll uh, round off with the last question, and that's more of a tips to retail investors that want to follow the daily development in uh, the LNG spot rates. Yeah. And the question is if the, um, the BLNG2 uh, on uh, Baltics, uh, quoted on CME, mm. if that is a, a good proxy uh, for our open positions uh, or other other yeah, it's, it's a bit of a problem this, that uh, there's very limited data on, uh, on uh, freight rates for LNG. It's a bit of a niche market. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a hell of a lot easier to follow the uh, dry bulk and the tanker market because there's a limited, uh, there's very many sources for that kind of spot data. I would say that, uh, you know, you can go to the CME, there, there you get the deriv freight derivatives, you can see the uh, the, the kind of the forward uh, freight market for uh, a couple of different routes. Uh, so uh, the Baltic LNG is a, it's a good source. You also have Spark, which is a provider. Uh, if uh, you know, I follow them on Twitter or X. <laughs> so that's also a good source to get uh, get the data on the spot market. Fernpulse.com by uh, Fernlist is also a, a good source for. Uh, rates on uh, several of the segments, uh, dry bulk, tankers, VLGC, LNG, although they only quote uh, on that page, uh, as far as I know, spot rates for uh, tri-fuel uh, ships, which are uh, a bit more uh, inefficient than those ships. So, so I, I, I would use all of those and uh, 
if I come up with some better, uh, better, uh, better uh, sources, I, I will come back to that, uh, and maybe we could even make a link on our page. Uh, but uh, you know, a, a good source is to follow Sparks on X. Uh, they are regularly giving an update on on the rates. And that is for the two-stroke, or is that for? Uh, they have for both, both for the both for the older trifuel ships and and the two-strokes. Yes. Yeah. That concludes the, the Q&A, so... Uh, yeah, thank you, Knut. I hope you have a good birthday celebration today. And uh, thank you everybody for uh, listening in. Uh, we will be back in May with the Q1 numbers and give you an update on, on, on the company and uh, our uh, results in relation to the guidance provided. And uh, if you are fond of dividends, don't miss out on the Advanced Gas Valentine's Q4 uh, presentation next Wednesday, 14th of Feb. Okay, thank you everybody. Thank you.